This, 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 we are gathered here today for the Fight Disciples UFC and Boxing Talk. Welcome to Fight Disciples on Radio City Talk. Back as usual every Tuesday night with 60 minutes of the very best of Merseyside fight sports. All the latest news, reviews and the biggest interviews with the most charismatic and brightest stars this city has to offer around the fight game. Big weekend for Mixed Martial Arts. Cage Warriors 101 went down at the Exhibition Centre. I'll give you a little rundown of the results and some of the highlights of that a little bit later on in the show. But first and foremost, I want to announce tonight's guest and what a guest I have got for you as well. We've had them all on this show. We've had world champions, we've had ABA champions, Olympians, um, authors, playwrights, you name it. We've had the full nine yards. But what we've never had, and one thing I was desperate to get at this year... Um, is a is a journeyman, a guy that puts in the puts in the work and and basically the foundation of what is British boxing. And regular listeners will realise back in December we did our review of 2018, and I stumped the two journalists I had in the studio with me that day by saying who is Liverpool's most active boxer, and they didn't have a clue. They were guessing left, right, and centre, but they didn't know. But I'm delighted to say he joins me in the studio tonight. I am of course talking about the Battalion Stallion himself, Mr. Ricky Starkey. Welcome to the studio. All right, Nick. How you doing, mate? Good, mate. Yeah, yeah. Good. Good to have you in the studio, Rick. And uh, as I say, it's completely different. Where you come at the sport, where you come at professional boxing, is very different from, let's say, an Anthony Fowler comes at boxing. You know, you've had completely different lives, even though you're both from this very same city. But your journey into the sport and his journey into the sport are completely different. What is it like being a journeyman, being a, 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 a Pro boxer that travels to fight every other weekend. What is that kind of? What's the driving factor behind it more than anything else? To be honest with you, I just I stay in the game because I enjoy it. I mean, I love it. I've been doing it since I was fifteen. I mean, I first started at the uh, Saint Teresa's Amateur Boxing Club in Norris Green under uh, Mick and Joe McVeigh as well as uh, Paul Allen and Danny Redden. And uh, one of my mates in school, a lad called John Reynolds, he was the one who got me into it. My dad tried to get me in when I was a bit younger. The likes of Crocky and places like that, but I didn't really click. I, you know, didn't have the rapport there and that. But instantly, when I met like Joe McVeigh, it was uh, I don't know, I suppose it was like just fell in love with it straight away. Why did your dad push you towards boxing? Was he a big boxing fan? Did he box himself? Uh, no, I think his dad did, and my mum's dad did. Uh, my mum's dad, Emery Kennedy, he was a bare knuckle fighter in the Merchant Navy, and as far as I'm aware, my dad's dad, uh, my namesake, I think I'm about the ninth Richard in line or something. He was an unbeaten amateur. And I think he was like a chef in the Merchant Navy or something like that himself. Yeah. The um, Obviously, you, you've, you've, you've clearly fell in love with boxing and you had a passion for it. And at one stage, you were trained at the Solly as well. Yeah. You know, one of Liverpool's most successful clubs. Who was around the Solly at that time? And um, Paul Edwards, David Burke, uh, obviously Alan Lynch was the, uh, the, you know, the boss, as they call him. Yeah. Um, Mick, Mick Donoghue, Joey Naylor, Tommy Smith. You know, to name a few, I mean, there's probably... Probably one or two others as well. But, you know, it's probably struggling to think at the minute. Like, but like, I think, in fact, Steve Jono as well. I think he does the photography side and that now. But, yeah, he, he was coaching there as well. Right now, you're obviously a professional. You're looking after by John Smith. You know, yeah, who's our smogger. Our smogger, <laughs> like everybody loves him. You know, when everyone sees John up and down the country, it shows every other weekend. You were boxing uh, just a couple of weeks ago. You're fighting again this weekend down in, in Maidstone, is yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, uh, just had a call up for it. I think he's down on Boxac to schedule to fight uh, another lad who I've boxed on your license scene. Got a bad decision on that one, but let's not go into it. <laughs> um, and yeah, so bit of a mission, like, you know, a bit of a trek, but 
outcomes and goals, don't it? So how does it work in terms <clears> of <throat> in terms of your position? Are you literally just waiting for the phone to ring? Do you just wait for you know for Steve Wood, your manager, to ring and go, listen, yeah. there's a fight here in Glasgow, there's a fight here in Maidstone, whatever it may be, and you just go, right, okay, yeah, I'm there. Um, more or less, yeah. I mean, other than that, now and again, I mean, we might get like a, another little phone call from like say somebody that John or my other coach, uh, Billy. Uh, they might get a call like you know Billy Rice and that, and uh, they'll say somebody's called him or an offer for advice on one of these bills and that. So then you know they'll let me know, and then obviously I'll let Steve know, and if Steve's happy with it, then Sam. But sometimes if like it's a bit quiet and whatever else, I'll have a little look on box X who who's uh, about at what weights and stuff like that. Uh, how they're getting on, who they force, what the backgrounds like. Uh, have a look at the feud fights, see what they're about and that. And then I'll make suggestions to Steve and say like these lads between these weights, I'd be happy to fight any one of these. So you know what I mean. If any of these offers come in, or you know if you can ask any of these, I, get, I make them aware of who all the matchmakers are, who all the uh, promoters are for the shows and that. And I'll say, listen, if you can get me any of them, let me know. And uh, you know, this one, this wasn't even on the list for me, and it was already matched to fight somebody else, so I didn't even. Take me into consideration, and now I've uh, I've got this one on Saturday. My last one, obviously, uh, well, I got disqualified. I was fortunate to get paid, if I'm being honest, because you're not supposed to get paid if you get TQ. But I think, um, you know, when the way I got about the crowd that I was going to be going home and see and that might have swayed it a bit. Aside from that, though, the whip that came to see us, he was saying we'd still decided to pay you. Yeah. But when John went to get his dough off the gale, um, I think he had to argue the toss a bit because he had a mate that was with him when he, uh, he tried to get the pay somewhere else we still managed to get the wages thank God <laughs> it was alright what did you get decreed for? Um, probably a few rabbit punches around the back of the head and uh, <laughs> yeah, being honest with you I was going in I was, I was holding and grabbing a bit but every time I was coming at him I mean he was pulling me down by my head because he's the home kid everything's favoured towards the home kid getting the win so the, you know it's very uh, biased and as soon as I t- told John who the referee was going to be for the fight anyway, he was like, oh, for God's sake. You know what I mean? So I think that kind of said it all in before we took the ring walk. <laughs> now, when you started in the, in the pro game, yeah. you know, 2016, you started with two wins. Yeah. So your your mindset, your attitude towards the sport, I'm guessing was a lot different then from what it is now. Well, I was actually the home fighter for my first two fights. I just about managed to scrape enough tickets together to be able to be in the home corner. And, uh, you know, coming out to me, my ring walk, which is obviously the King's Regimental by the song which has been going right through the wars bit of history and uh, patriotism behind that because like you know lads have been singing that dying in the trenches getting shot at in like the battles of the Somme and other such uh, wars and that since yeah yeah that's why I've chosen this meeting walk because I mean when we're walking out when I do me as company officers in the army and that and uh, well you know the lads walking out with a double in front of them one of the lads will blow, blow the bugle and then you'll get walked in and all the lads will be singing that as you walk into the ring it proper makes the air stand up on the back of him I mean I've got a little bit more of a build up to it with a bit of a well, Apollo Creed and um, a bit of um, Al Pacino on it off any given Sunday but you know I think it's even got a bit of the remembrance well yeah the full remembrance poem in there as well but we'll probably get to that in a bit yeah we'll, have, we'll play that out a little bit later on for sure yeah so you, you touched on it then you know you, <clears> you said First two fights, the difference was I was in the home corner because I sold enough tickets. Now, I can't emphasise enough to anyone listening how important that is. Selling tickets, that's what it's all about, isn't it? You know, we had Nick Ball in last week with me, a couple of weeks ago. We had Mishak Spear in just a couple of weeks ago as well and, and Brandon Deord, who's just turning pro now. Uh, and they were talking about the importance of selling tickets, of selling tickets, of selling tickets. And we were talking about it just before we come on air, Rick, about you becoming a a genuine, if you like, the away fighter is basically based on the fact of selling tickets, isn't it? It's you like know? a popularity song contest. I'm not going to lie to you. Like, if you don't at least sell enough to cover your opponent's pace, you're not going to be fighting. And whatever you have sold, you're giving out refunds. And all your training and diet and all the graft and effort and time you've been putting into it, it just seems as though it's been for nothing. So the difference was these two kids, and they were kids, you know, in the early 20s. Yeah. They, they were on a couple of weeks ago and they're talking about it, but the difference is 
no doubt they live at home with the mum, with the parents or the family. You know what I mean? They've got that support. They're boxing full time. They're training twice a day. They're still, wish. you know, and and that's the difference. You're not in that position. You no. did, you had ten years in the army representing this country, and then you've come back and you've had to come back to it. You haven't got. You've got a family. You can't go and bang on doors twenty four seven or whatever else. But but you did it. You did oh, it for the yeah, Believe me, it was a struggle. I'm not going to lie. It was the hardest craft in the world. I mean, you know. As the saying goes, you're only as good as the ticket you sell. And if you're not shifting tickets, you've got two choices. It's either pack it in or go on the road. And unfortunately, everything's favoured towards the home fighter. So to get a win, this is how it's going to go down. If it's close, chances are the home kid's going to get the win. If you do enough, you might get a draw. If you school it, then you you know, you know, might be lucky enough to get the win. The only surefire way to get the decision is if you knock that kid out cold. It's as simple as that. Yeah. You've had a couple of draws as well. Yeah, yeah. Are they the ones you look back on now and think? I'll be honest with you. I mean, you know, if you look at the right ups on a couple of them as well, you know, I actually, most people actually genuinely, as well as the ones who write do the right ups in boxing news and that, they actually agree with the fact that I actually beat those kids. It's just I think obviously, if you beat one of the home kids, it might affect affect his following and that. And it might affect his ability to sell tickets. So on the business perspective, it's probably better to try and give that kid a draw so that it doesn't take away from his unbeaten record and maybe lose him half of his fans. Yeah. So you understand the sport, you understand how it works, the business side of it. From from a competitive side of it then, you know, where do, where do you keep the drive going? Is it just purely for your love of boxing that you just love doing it, regardless of the fact that, you know what, I'm going to Maidstone this weekend, I'm probably not going to win? If, uh, I'm not gonna. I don't think like that. I, no, no. I always, I you know, I, I know I'm always in with the chance. It doesn't matter who I'm fighting or where. I mean, being honest with you, when a box come all you fight, I only got a day's notice for that. And building up to it, I'd had uh, what four cry-offs. One lad's show got cancelled because I think the promoter had an heart attack, and another lad he couldn't do the tickets. And I think some kid offered me a six rounder for four rounds money, and I said, "Listen, if you want six rounds, you pay for six rounds, or it's not happening." So I lost out on six uh, six fights between the October and December. So at the time, I was well over my weight. I was just ticking over, and I wasn't training properly because I just thought, "Well, there's no point because nobody wants to fight me." I got offered your fight about two weeks previous, but Steve said, "Nah, it's too soon for you." And that because obviously I had, had loads of cryoffs, he thought I could do with a nice payday before Christmas, and that. So the Italian lad who was meant to fight failed his medical, and as a result of that, I got offered it as a last minute replacement. Needless to say, I think the deciding factor in the end was when he told me how much the fight was for. I was like, yep, and I was straight on the train the next day. <laughs> <laughs> so we talked about it then, obviously. You know. Being honest with you, didn't, you know, fully fit. And I kind of give him a much tougher test. I mean, Eddie was uh, speaking to me after a box, Kess at the Echo, uh, you know, Kess Ashfach. Yeah. And um, saying, your fight's got a good body shot. I'm being honest with you, the worst body shot I've ever had was in sparring against the lad from Swansea when I was on me certainly before I could choose to get out the army. And his name was Ricky Owen. And he was a really great amateur. He stopped a lot of lads with body shots. I'm not going to lie to you. I mean, my ribs were sore about two, three days after that. That's the worst body shot I've ever had in my life. And that was with 16s on. And he wasn't even like fighting fit where I was more or less at like championship weight at the time. I mean, this is even before I turned over when I was due to get out the army doing me settlement to get all my uh, quals for me, HCV driving and that. Yeah. And yeah, sickening, sickening. You, uh, you touched on it then. You uh, Is that what you do full-time? Is that your full-time gig? Yeah, yeah. HGV I'm, driving? Yeah. I mean, I'm on the agency and that, but I just get, get as many shifts as I can in that. Being honest with you, certain times of year it goes a bit quiet. So, like, after the Christmas rush and that, it's more or less dead up until about March. You're lucky to get about two or three shifts a week in. But uh, I've just, um, you know, started up with a new agency, like, what, within the last couple of weeks, and they seem to be getting me pretty regular work at the minute, so I'm quite fortunate in the sense. Yeah. Um, I mean, if there's any sort of sponsorship opportunities to try and get me back on the home circuit, I'd be more than 
happy to take that on board. But I mean, at the minute, I think it's just the mint talks with the um, Kingsman Street Foods, which is obviously a, a veteran-owned uh, restaurant in Prescott, mm-hmm. uh, run by. Um, oh, I was only there the other day. They had a veterans' breakfast at the restaurant with Mick, and I think his mates too run it. And it's it's nice, like you know what I mean. It's, um, so if anyone's wanting to go, I think they've actually got a few deals on Groupon, and I think they do uh, some stuff on Just Eat as well. It's, it's really nice food and that. Yeah. So definitely worth a go. And every th- third Saturday every month, that's when they have the veterans' breakfast. So for any ex-Kingos or anybody else that's ex-Forces who wants to go and have a brekkie and have a bit of a reminisce with the lads and that from your days back in the Forces, I'd highly recommend it. Absolutely. So you still... Listen, <clears throat> the issue seems to be the fact that it's selling tickets. The stress of being able to sell tickets and not having to go on the road and being a you know a father and having kids and being in your 30s and you've... you know. Like so many servicemen, unfortunately, you kind of you've come back to civilization. You're paying the price for being a serviceman because you're having to catch up with life, which is horrific, which, which is an issue in itself. But you, if with sponsors though, with someone to come in and go right, okay, we're going to pay you to train full time. We're going to pay you to be able to get out there and to push selling tickets and to become the home fighter again. You still got it in your head thinking I could still do that. I yeah. could still make a run then, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, if I was able to do this on a full-time basis, I'm telling you, I'll give anyone for a run for the money. I'll never give anyone an easy fight. I mean, being honest with you, today, so since I've been pro, probably, I'd say the toughest kid I fought, I'm not going to make no bones about it, it'll be that kid, Louis Lynn, and probably the second to him, it'll be Steve Tiffany. But other than that, um, you know, anybody else, I, you know, I mean, Kess is pretty slick and whatever else, but I'm not, I'm not going to say too much about his power because... I mean, yeah, he might have stopped us last two, but being honest with you, I mean, nah, he wouldn't stop me. <laughs> he couldn't stop me. What's the um, the obviously the battalion stallion nickname speaks for itself, of course. But yeah. where did the nightmare come from? Uh, that was basically when I was fighting Sean McGoldrick in Belfast. Um, Dave Caldwell was commentating and he said, oh, this star, he's a bit of a nightmare. I think John was trying to change your name from there, but obviously I had to uh, put a little bit of a post out on my social media, a bit of a vote in that, and obviously the stallion still came out in front. So uh, as they say, uh, there's people have spoken. Well, the battalion stallion's an absolute belt of a nickname anyway. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like a bit of a Rocky and a Rambo rolled into one, but being honest with you, it was one of the man clads I was shaving with a proper scally man. You were one of them proper actors. Oh, mate, you're all right, star, lad. Oh, the battalion stallion fella. I was like, no way, you know. Getting, getting a bottle of Fanta with a 4 Cortina. You know what I mean? They talk like that. It's like going on to Shameless or something. But yeah, I can do a few actions because I mean, I've been around when I was in the army and that. I was around all kinds of lads from like Spennymoor and Newcastle, Scotland, Ireland, you name it. Yeah. So you pick a little bit up. You pro- probably dilute your accents a little bit, but at the same time, I've still got me twang, so I'm all right. You're all right, yeah. Was you just known as Scouse then, were you? No, no, because I was in the Kings, so half of us are scouts oh, anyway, course, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Whereas when you go to any other regiments and you've got like loads of Southerners, like Cockneys and whatever else, then you'd probably get called scouts. But at the regiments and that, predominantly in the Kings regiment, we were predominantly Manx and Scousers. Since, since then, no, in 2006, we got amalgamated to become the 2nd Battalion, the Duke of Lancaster's regiments. And um, you probably, I don't know if you've had him in, a lad called Bright Crichton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was actually... He fought at the weekend? Yeah, he was actually, mm-hmm. um, I was on the army boxing team with him. You know, we're good mates and we still speak quite regularly. He's a good, he's a good lad. He fought on cage what he is on Big Saturday, bad wolf. Yeah, yeah, he did, yeah. <laughs> he's only little, but he comes out with that mask on and everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, he's, he's, he's a little tank. I mean, he's only about five for four or something like that. But when you look at the size of his legs, he's like a little brick. Yeah. You know what I mean? Absolutely solid, yeah. Uh, I'll come on to the cage one. He's results a little bit later on in the show. Stick with us coming up in part two. I'm going to ask, obviously, I'm going to ask Ricky about his journey into boxing. Why boxing, of course. We want to know a little bit more about those military days as well. Don't go anywhere. 
You're listening to the Fight Disciples podcast. Welcome back to Fight Disciples on Radio City Talk. If you just join us, where have you been, man? I've got Ricky Starkey, the man himself, the battalion stallion, the nightmare in studio with me this evening. We're obviously reviewing his career in fight sport, uh, in boxing. Uh, I, want to t- I want to pick holes in, in the fights that you have had, Rick, but I will save that until a bit later in the show. First and foremost, we touched on it there in part one. You started at St. Teresa's, you ended up at the Solly. At what, you know... I was on the army boxing team in between that, and I was in, well, I was in the army, and I was boxing for the army. I was actually, uh, I think I won me into companies twice in the battalions, done the regimental boxing, that, boxing battalion or whatever else. And then I was on the army team for about three seasons, and I managed to gain three novice combat services titles. I got a few best boxer gongs on a few shows and stuff like that. Um, Got to, like, the quarters and the semis of the ABAs, well, novice ABAs a few times. And then I've done the ABAs for the Solly and the Arangay Box Club a couple of times as well. Were you still serving at the time? Uh, not when I was with the Solly, no. I got out of the army at the time. I mean, I was I served between the 9th of January 2003 till the 28th of March 2013. How come you come out? Um, partly family, partly because, well, they were dangling a carrot. It was like getting given and taken with the boxing and that. And I was sick of the inconsistency. I thought, so if I want to do anything with it, I'm not getting any younger. So I need to be able to do it now. If they're not going to help me with it, then I've got two choices. It's either forget about it and you know carry on saving or get out and try and make a go of it. I mean, being honest with you, when I got out at 27, I probably would have gone pro a bit sooner, but at the time, I didn't have the funds to be able to, you know, front all the costs to be able to go pro, and I didn't really know how to go about it or who to approach and how it all worked. So that's why it took me till I was 30 to be able to finally go ahead with it. Yeah. What made you join the army in the first place? Um, I mean, I was in cadets. I used to go to, um, what's it called, you know, HQ uh, King's detachments in uh, in Broadway on Townsend Avenue. I was in the eighth, well, I got in at 11 originally, but someone like grasped me and because I stood on his boots and smudged his policy, blew me up about my age, and I had to bugger off till I was 13. <laughs> so I went back at 13 and I was in cadets till I was 17. And then one of my mates, John Reynolds, like as I was saying earlier, uh, he got me into St. Caesar's Boxing Club. And, you know, I had two fights for them, one both of them, stopped the first one. Uh, I actually had uh, my first fight at the pavilions in Runcorn, which is where I had my um, reception for my wedding as well. <laughs> Uh, funnily enough, like several years later, and um, yeah, I stopped him in a couple of rounds. A lad called Graham Jones from Mailer ABC in Wales, Wrexham, and then my second one I boxed like I called uh, Eddie Atkins on the Vauxhall Motors show. He was the home kid, but it was like red fifty-seven, blue sixteen, and all of all those score cards. And I, I you know, I just I battered him to be honest with you. But it <laughs> <laughs> is what it is. And then after that, uh, I went in the army. The um, <clears throat> have you got a family history in the army? Is that what it was, or did you just enjoy the cadets as a kid and thought, you know what? Um, I mean, one of my cousins, um, some people might know him as Fester, but uh, James James Kennedy, my cousin, he was the one who got me into cadets when I was younger. And, uh, you know, I'd done that from the age of 13 till I was 17, and that kind of, like, influenced me into the army bit. And I also got told a little bit about the fact that the Kings, which is the regiment I joined, was the best boxing regiment in the British Army, so much so that in the 80s we won the uh, Army Cup that many times on a bounce that they actually changed the um, trophy name to the King's Cup. Wow. Yeah. It's, I mean, oh, you know, the paddles are catching up now, like, but it's, we still, you know, it's still got our name on it at the minute. <laughs> <laughs> you, obviously, you're, you're, you're out the army now, but it's funny that you still talk about it as we. You're still part of it, you know, you're still... Yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm a veteran. I mean, I still, keep in touch, I, still, I still keep in touch regularly with a lot of lads that I serve with, and even quite a few lads in recent years that I've uh, befriended who've served way before my time and I've uh, established, like, great bonds with as well. I mean, there's a lad, fella that lives not too far from here called Roy Mitchell, He's a, 
I think he's a virus to Shemp, but he looks Chinese and that, and he wears a bit of a kilt when he goes all to all to all the dudes and stuff like that. He's done like a bit of Chinese chef and amongst a lot of other things over the years, and he's a really interesting guy. I mean, you know, I was fortunate enough to stay with him briefly when I've had a few, uh, you know, issues in my personal life at times, but. Yeah, he's a cracker fella, like, and, you know, uh, I've learned a lot from him, it's as like well that, as a few other lads. That community in this one. Yeah, you, yeah, it's, you know, it's like the regimental family, don't get me wrong, I mean, the, the old school lads from back in the day, I'd say there's a bit more, how would you call it, camaraderie between them, whereas the new kids nowadays, you know, they're not as tight-knit as what we were back in the day, and they don't really bond as well as what we used to. Yeah. It's, it's a bit of a shame, really, it's not what it used to be. When you, when you got into the army, then what, what did you do? Where did you go? You know, um, what, was was, your, what was your position? Well, obviously, I was an infantier. I mean, we were armed with infantry when I first got to my battalion. I missed out on Talek 2 because I was too young, so I ended up doing a little bit of AYT on recruiting for a little bit. And um, Talek 2, sorry. Oh, Op Talek 2, that was uh, the second operational tour of Iraq. Right. I, my tour I went on was uh, Op Talek 9, and we lost about 8 or 9 out there, um, including a couple of lads that I was quite close to, the likes of uh, Adam Schmidt. There's a lad called, um, a, a lad as well, Jonesy, and um, Graham Esketh, my platoon sergeants. Uh, he was from, well, he lives like, probably like round one Cornways and that, and he was a cracker fella, but, you know, these things happen. I mean, I actually got blew up myself. I was a gunner in the Warrior, and, uh, you know, What's we the were, Warrior? Is that a tank? Yeah, it's an armoured personnel carrier. It's like a little tank. I was in charge of, uh, you know, the th- 7.62 uh, uh, chain gun as well as the 30 mil rather than cannon. So I was um, the gunner in the turrets. We had the driver, the commander, and we had the dismount in the back. And it, just as we were getting called to stop on the radio, command wire went off and, you know, took out the gearbox under our wagon, knocked us all out in a three-wagon packet. And fortunately, we'd only just left the, uh, the shuttle at our hotel at the time. So the QRF, F, were, uh, which is the quick reaction force, they were quite pretty close by. So they came and recovered us and took us back. Yeah. Um, I mean, when it came to, I was just traversing my arch, you know, like, having a look around through my guns and that to see if there was any sort of threat in that until we got, you know, picked up and bugged out and got away from it all. But I mean, I've been shot at a mortar like multiple times uh, while I was over there, you know, been to places like uh, Shiba, uh, Umkazar, um, the Cobb or, you know, Basra Palace and places like that. Wow. Yeah. When you when when you got blew up then in the armoured vehicle and you say you, you were able to, you know, you were conscious then you didn't get knocked out. No, I got knocked like out. That, that right, was the, fir- that's the first time I've ever been knocked out in my life was when I got, I got blew up. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> but you but you you've obviously come to. Yeah. And before the response team arrived, you yeah, were then but conscious we had, we still to... had another two two wagons behind it because we were the lead pa- wa- okay. wagon in the packet. You know, so we had front, centre and rear. The, the centre and the rear ones were still behind us. I mean, uh, Richie Castle was the platoon sergeant at the time. Uh, he jumped out and climbed in through our top of our turret to check on us to see if we were all right in that. And fortunately, we were like, just come to a bit. Oh, you know what I mean? Big doggy, Big, yeah. yeah. Wow. What, you, what year was that? Yeah, that was two. Well, I went on the 11th of November, which is Remembrance Day and my mum's birthday, 2006. And we came back uh, June 2007. And that was, I think, uh, not long after I turned 21, about the 26th, 27th of November, 2006. That happened. Wow. Yeah. How long have you been in the army for then after that? Uh, well, I mean, I joined when I was 17. I got out when I was 27. I mean, I gave you the dates in yeah. the earliest segment of the show. like So, uh, yeah. I mean, I've done a bit of adventurous training, a bit of, you know, sailing, uh, kayak and canoe, canoe and rock climbing. Maybe probably a little bit of pothole and stuff like that. I mean, done various bits of bobs like that even before I joined the army as well. But, yeah, been about a bit, done a few different things. It's uh, been an experience, met and 
Facebook friended a lot of different people. Got loads of acquaintances from here, there, and everywhere. It's, it's, it's good. Do you, do you look back now fondly on that time? Do you miss it? Um, I miss the camaraderie more than anything else. But at the same time, I mean, there's a method to the madness, and we're not the best army in the world for no reason. I'll tell you that much. And we have got some cracking lads who are like really switched on. And I mean, I'm not gonna lie. I've had a few moments, and I've been a bit of a. A uh, bit silly at times, you know what I mean? As you are in the early stages of your career, I'm not going to make no bones about it. I wasn't always the best soldier, and it took me long enough just to be able to get me uh, my stripe, which is me, me Lance Corporal. Right? As they say, it's the uh, the hardest to get and the easiest to lose. Fortunately, I didn't lose it, like, but uh, you know, I still had it up until I got out. I think it was a case of, more a case of my face didn't fit to begin with, but as time went on and people realised, you know, while I was about, I mean, I'm not going to lie, when I've joined the army, you'd never think it now. I wouldn't say Boots of the Goose, I was quiet as a mouse, but now I can. I could probably talk a glass out of sleep. <laughs> <laughs> do you think? Um, do you think serving in the army like that? Do you think that? Do you think all? You know, in some countries, it's still mandatory for sixteen-year-olds to go and do two years service or whatever it may be. Um, do you think that that would be a good thing for the UK? Just before we go back to boxing, I'm just interested um, in your take on it. Yeah, I'd say so. Because being honest with you, I mean, there's a lot of uh, reckless kids out there who are quite immature and whatever else. I mean, it's been suggested. I don't know. Maybe something I'll think about going into further down the line, but I might go into maybe do speaking to some like of the younger kids because I've you know faced a lot of things and I've had a lot of things happen over the years, both in and out of the army that people might be able to relate to to hopefully try and deter them from you know going down a a lesser travelled route or a sort of wrong route. You know what I mean? Because let's be honest, your life expectancy in Liverpool in this day and age, especially with all the crime and all the glamorisation of the uh, the drugs and the that gun and knife crime, or whatever else, it's it's a sad sight to see. Yeah, it is, yeah. It's not just Liverpool, it's nationwide as well, unfortunately, yeah. you know. Um, coming out of that then, obviously, getting back into the boxing seems like a natural fit. And, it's, you know, you're certainly never going to be intimidated by anything. After oh, no, no, no. Seen, no, it's so. not as scary as me. I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not scared, scared of anyone. At the end of the day, I mean, you know, once that bell goes, it's just you and him, two arms, two legs, and make the best man win. That's, how, that's just how it is. And it's great that you're, you're, your passion for the sport, even though... I'm not going to lie, I have been disheartened after one or two of them on occasion, but at the same time, you know, you go back to the gym, you regroup, you think about it, it's not a loss, it's a lesson. Yeah. The fire still burns bright? Well, it's, it's still burning. <laughs> you know what I mean? We'll get a bit of brighter, I mean, you know, I'm not going to go looking for it. Like John always tells me, only fuels rush in, and when I start getting a bit wild and whatever else, I either get caught with silly shots or I'll get told off or referees might try and sanction me and take points off me and stuff like that so I've got to be a bit more careful especially in light of the fact that my last one at the end of the month when I was up in Glasgow got disqualified and like I said earlier I was fortunate to get paid because you're not supposed to when that happens normally but uh, so I think all the referees are probably going to be you know keeping a bit of an eye on me and maybe looking for an excuse so I don't want to be giving them one well, if I can help it well you are the nightmare so what's your <laughs> <laughs> well as long as you don't get TQ because I mean like I said I don't want to be going to empty handed yeah exactly you know what I mean that's what, that's what the show that happened but luckily uh, the script got written a little different that day the, um, <clears throat> when you sit down with your wife down on your face and have the conversation say listen I'm out now I'm working whatever but I want to I wanna push on go back to boxing I want to become a pro boxer I want to earn some good money in the first couple of fights you know, you get a couple of wins under your belt and everything else, and then obviously a year or two later, it's slightly different. You're away from home every weekend now. You're not. That's, you're not. It's not every home weekend. I mean, or... like I said, I mean, there's a lot of cry-offs. Like in the early stages after a box with Goldrick, I had a lot of lads offering me a fight, and then within a week or so before the fight was due to take place, the fight would be cancelled, and then you know they'd be down to fight some, you know, foreign journeyman who was 
you know, a regular at getting beat and making the other lads look good, getting the win in that. Whereas I'm not there to pad your record out. I'm there to put you in a body bag. <laughs> but I love that mentality. I love the fact that you've... Well, you've... I'm not putting you in a body bag. I don't want to seriously you. know, like, you know, damage it terribly, you know you're... what I mean? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's like, it's do or die, you know, him or you. And the fact of the matter is, if it's, if it's going to be a choice of him or me, then it's not going to be me. <laughs> Would you box every weekend if you could? If you could schedule it? Um, depends on how, how hard the, the fight is. Some gentlemen do. Some yeah, do. I mean, depends on how hard the fight is and how much damage it's taking, how much recovery you need and stuff like that. But I mean, if I if I had a relatively easy fight and I didn't really get damaged too much, or especially if I knocked the kid out, yeah, I'd be game to go for it again the next week without a doubt. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go, we're on a roll. Come on, Let's get the money in. Yeah, bring the money. <laughs> Make the pays. Because there's a lot, of, you know, there's a lot of. It's a strange word, journeyman, because it it encompasses so many different fighters in so many different stages yeah. of their career. You know, there's there's the hardcore journeyman who fight every weekend. Yeah. That turn up to get paid. That turn up not to get stopped because they don't want a thirty day ban. Yeah. And and then there's well, people you can make like, a decent living. I mean, look at the likes of Christian Leite. He had three hundred fights. So I don't. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't want to be. You know, I, I wouldn't want to <laughs> see what the taxman's got to say to him. Like, but yeah. <laughs> But well, there's been a few out there like that. There's been a few over the years that yeah, I've had. I mean, my coach, Smoggell, he was a journeyman. He had 97 fights on the road as a pro. Yeah. You know what I mean? And he boxed for England as an amateur. There's some lads who've done really well as amateurs. Like I was talking to Chris Faith when I was at his the other day. And he says to us, like, there's lads who've done well, boxed for England, done really well as amateurs and stuff like that. But because of the, the um, you know, that pressure to sell tickets and to be able to get the crowd and that behind you, it's a really big stress and it takes a lot to do it. On top, I mean, that in addition to training, as well as maybe trying to work your day job and work around your family as well. It's it's a lot and nobody realises just how hard that is. Yeah. I mean, they just think, oh yeah, oh yeah, he's pro. No, it's not our yeah, he's pro. He's got to pay for his licensing and his sanctioning fees as well as his medical, his MRI scan, his eye test every single year. That's tax deductible, but don't get me wrong, that's come out of his own pocket. Unless you're like a you know really top-class amateur you get signed by a top promoter, good luck to you. I'm not going to lie to you. If you can't sell tickets, like I said earlier, You've got two choices. Go on the road or sack it. Yeah. You've got to just jack it in. It's not for the faint-hearted. And, you know, I don't particularly take pride in the fact that obviously I'm getting less, you know, losses and stuff like that. I mean, I know that that's what I face because I'm the away fighter. Everything's geared towards the home kid. That's yeah. just how it is. And like I said, I've got a proper pull it out of the bag to get a win on an away show. That's you know what I mean. I'm gonna, I'll try my best on Saturday. Like, but I've got no guarantees. There never is. Yeah, it's just how it is. What what? You obviously still have aspirations in the sport. You obviously still have aspirations. Mm. Is is that to go on the road, get a win, get a win, get a couple of wins, build a bit of momentum up? Suddenly you do, you know, like well, a, you know, if 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 I win and I'm doing well and I get decent wins against decent kids, and especially ideally, I want another shot at like maybe that sort of. Sky Sports thing, but you know, just on before the main events. I mean, when I boxed Louis Lynn, I'm not going to lie, we waited ages before the fight took place because we were a live float. And in all honesty, if Ryan Doyle's fight would have come past six rounds, we'd have been waiting till after the main events. Yeah. I'd already warmed up well before that. And by the time we went out there in the changes, I'd just gone stale. I'd had to warm up again. And my head watch just wasn't the same as what it was when it first prepared. When you first prepared and you've just got ready, you know what I mean? You're fresh, you're ready to go. But like I said, I was a bit stale when I went in against him. If I'd have gone in there like fully fresh, like I was when I first warmed up, like proper fired up and raring to go, probably would have had a bit, well, definitely would have had a much better performance. And I don't think it would have uh, been stopped as early as what it was, if at all, if I could have helped it. Yeah. 
we'll, we'll come back. We'll have a look at some of these fights after the break. Coming up in part three. Don't go anywhere. Ricky's going nowhere. We're going to break down this career so far. We'll also talk about what's to come in 2019. And at the start of the show, we mentioned Brian Crichton there as well. I'll give you a quick rundown of the very best bits from Cage Warriors 101 from Liverpool on Saturday night. You'll listen to Fight Disciples on Radio City Talk. You're listening to the Fight Disciples podcast. Welcome back to Fight Disciples on Radio City Talk. Still in the studio with me is the main man himself, the nightmare, Ricky Starkey. Uh, I'm going to pick Rick's brains now about uh, for the next 15 minutes or so about his career so far and the performances and everything else, but I've been teeing it up throughout the show saying I'm going to do a quick rundown of the Cage Warriors 101 bill from Saturday night. Absolutely belting down there. It was down at the Exhibition Centre next door to what is now the MS Bank Arena, not the Echo Arena anymore. Loads of local lads in action, some controversial, some... Some great decisions, some bad decisions. I've got to be honest, look, Marcus Lewis was was unfortunate on the amateur card. Um, the main card obviously just delivered on every single level. Uh, Mick Stanton from Liverpool, former KBABC boxer. Uh, I was on boxing in, camp with him when I was a kid. With Mick? Yeah. He put in a winning a performance. Laugh. He won on points. He looked brilliant. Um, your mate, Brian Crichton, he unfortunately got lost. He got, got beaten, sorry. He got it by a rear naked choke. He was boxing brilliantly. Yeah. Delivering so much power. And he dominated, the kid was from Sweden, I think, this Billich, and uh, he was dominating the fight, he was well ahead, and then he walked into a left-right, he walked into a 1-2, which dropped him, and Brian reacted as if to waiting for the next strike yeah. to come, but the kid had took his back, jumped on his back, and uh, and got a rear naked choke submission on him. Um, Strong as an ox pride, though. I mean, well, when he was you. in the army team with him, right, he went to this uh, bodybuilding gym called Muscle Junction, not far from uh, where we were training or whatever else. And uh, this fella done like a trial with us, done all kinds on legs with us and stuff like that, pushing major weights and that. We had to sprint the next day, so we were really too good when we done that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> he's a rocket, Brian. Had so much yeah. power in there. I, that was, his, I think, that was his first defeat in five fights. He's been flying at the moment, wow. but I think this guy just had a little bit too much for him on the ground. The highlight for local fight fans was Tim Barnett versus Adam Venture, which was uh, the MMA academy from one side of the city against Next Gen. Both these guys are mates, but tell you what, you wouldn't know it once they got in there because they let the they leather fly. Let me tell you, I thought Venture started the fight fantastic, um, dominated the first round, but with takedowns and submission attempts, <laughs> Barnett looked a little bit out of sorts. But then in the second round, Barnett suddenly switched on midway through the round. And for me, he was, he'd lost the first seven minutes of the fight, but he uh, he switched on in the second round. He hit Venture with a knee up against the fence, dropped him once. Venture bravely got back to his feet, took a couple more shots, and then he hit him with another knee before the referee stepped in. A great fight, both lads. Great to see Tim Barnett bounce back with a win after a disastrous 2018. Things are looking positive for him now in 2019. Hopefully he stays at that. Where This was at 160, but hopefully he stays at 155 and does the business there. And in regards to Venture, such a young lad, he just has no luck, does he? Uh, if it wasn't uh, injuries and problems and everything else, it was the fact that, you know, this fight comes up a catch weight. And I've got to be honest, Adam Venture is not a 160 He's not even a 155er. He's definitely a 145 long-term and into the future. Hopefully Adam moves down to his proper weight division and we see him big style bounce back later this year. At the main event, a little bit disappointing, of course. Uh, Bukachu against Tom Aspinall. Aspinall, as we as was well documented, trains with Tyson Fury, Spartan partner of Darren Till, up at Team Carl Bond, first fight in three years, the big heavyweight. I'd like to say it looked sensational, but for the few seconds it did happen, it, it did play out. Nothing happened until Bukachu threw that right right low kick. If you've been on our social media, you've seen it now. It's turned your stomach. He threw a right low kick. Aspinall checked it. Bukachu's shin completely snapped <coughs> in half. Uh, I was front row centre for that as well and tell you what you could hear the snap from cage side as soon as it happened you knew that was a broken leg and uh, I'm hearing Bukachu went straight to Royal he had an operation and things were looking really positive and he was looking to be returning uh, back to France 
on Monday yesterday. So hopefully everything's fine there with Bukachu and not the best way for Tom Ospinel to bounce back after three years out. But unfortunately, this is fight sports and these things happen and a win's a win at the end of the day. Um, that was Cage Warriors 101. Bukachu, it sounds like Pikachu, Bukachu, or, like, yeah, or, like, yeah. or like Booker T off the wrestling. He's like six, <laughs> six foot four, six foot four, African descent, absolute monster. I tell you oh, what. So he's not going to say Pika Pika. No, no. he isn't. <laughs> no, no. But he threw that leg kick. Oh my goodness! I think when something like that happens, you think there's got to be a fracture there previously. You can't just break your leg kick and someone else's leg short. Yeah. But uh, it wasn't the best way for it to happen. But listen, as I say, a win's a win uh, in this game. And let's come back to your career then, Rick. And uh, obviously. You are 11, 12, 15 in now, 15 yeah. fights, yeah. Um, 16 fight coming up this weekend. When you look back on the 15 fights, which ones do you look back on a little bit sore? You mentioned earlier that Louis Lim was probably the hardest hit he had faced, but which of those, was it the draws, was it the Ducery draw or the Brennan draw where you look back and go, and I won them. I oh, know. Yeah, I won them, definitely. Yeah. I mean, Ducery was close, I'll give him his due on that one, but with Brennan... I mean, he was moaning that I was dirty and whatever else, but he was just as dirty. He just hid it a bit better, that's all. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong, we had our tactics going and we knew what we had to do. And we we exploited and did what we had, we were we wanted, well, what we intended to. And uh, it worked the treat. Just, uh, I mean, being honest with you, if it weren't for that point off, you know, that would have been his first defeat, without a doubt. I mean, I watched his interview afterwards. He was all sand and everything with me after a fight, but when I seen his interview afterwards, he was just basically proper slagging me off. <laughs> Which must be weird when you when you you know when you share blood, sweat, and tears with someone in the middle of a ring. Ninety nine percent of the times, there's always an embrace. There's a mutual respect there. So no, oh, no. When I that mean, happens and you you get scored a draw and you've got you've had a point taken off. Yeah. So basically, everyone in the arena knows you've won the fight. Yeah. Everyone's seen it. The point taken off is what's influenced the judge or the referee in the end. I still got a draw. So I mean, for me, any way you're going, to, as far as I'm concerned, that's a win, and that's how most away sides are here. Yeah. I mean, you know. Like, look at a bit of Fido. I've got a lot of respect for him, being honest with you. When I fought him, it was very close. It could have gone either way. I don't know whether it was the fact that I was the home fighter or when I watched it back. At the time, I felt I didn't feel as though I deserved it. I'm not going to lie to you. And he's actually fighting for the Midlands area title at the end of March. Um, so, good on him. Because in his last five fights, he's won four and drew one. And, um, you know, I hope he, I hope he gets it. Like, Is it, is it other fighters like Brett Fido that you look at and think... That's all it is. It's 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 getting a run. It's just getting the right opponent to go. Bomb. There's a win. Okay. Next. Bomb. There's a second win. And you get that bit of momentum because you know for someone like yourself in the position you're in right now, where you, you you're having to travel, you know you got to get there. You you need a knockout to get a draw, pretty much. Is at the moment in your gut, are you thinking? If I could just get to a central area title, if I could get to a central area title fight, I mean, you know, if I could get to it because that could unlock an English yeah. title fight. And I, mean, that could I don't even know. Else. Did they still do them challenge belts, or have they been binned off? I think they've been binned off. Yeah, yeah. The central area is still around, though, definitely. Yeah, no, I'd do that. Be more than happy with the central area stuff. I mean, there's a few lads there on the home bill. I've even said to Steve, various lads that you've probably had in for interviews or seen fights and whatever else, and you know, one or two of them I might have sparred or I was due to fight or something in the amateurs, but for various reasons it didn't happen. Well, one in particular, I've actually fought twice and beat on both occasions. But I'd be more than happy to fight any one of them if the you know if the phone call comes in. Of course, there's three in particular. That I don't. I'm not going to divulge on the names unless you want me to. Like, but you know, spill your guts. Come on. Um, Who would you like to box? Because there's a big show coming up at the Echo Arena soon. There's big, you know, there's big shows in this yeah. city happening all the time. So I mean, Sean Kane's have sparred him quite a lot. He's a good lad. You know what I mean? I, you know, I've had a good time with him and we've sparred him, whatever else. But I mean, at the end of the day, it's business, and I'm pretty sure it'd be an interesting fight to see how it play out if we did come to blows. Yeah. Aside from that, maybe uh, Marshall Braithwaite. Um, I think we were due to fight each other in the amateurs, but obviously I got um, 
very close decision against me were on the uh, in the ABAs against Lewis Jacobs and he ended up fighting Lewis Jacobs in the next round for the sake of about a point or something like that. And I think I boxed uh, Bry Phillips twice in the amateur circuit. Uh, once for the army, once for the solly. And, uh, you know, obviously he lost his last one. I actually sparred Nicky Ball building up to that. And uh, I was knackered off a night shift and wasn't really as focused as what normally would, but I could feel it, you know, what he had. And, you know, I actually pitted him to win it before it took place. A lot of people... You know, we're trying to say, nah, but I just had that feeling that, you know, he was going to do it and he'd done it faster than I expected him to, if I'm being honest. Yeah, no, he did, yeah, second round stoppage, I think. Yeah, and I was expecting it to be, you know, to go to at least three, maybe three to five rounds, but yeah, and from, I don't know if there's any truth in it, but I don't think Bri was happy with the fact that he got the towel thrown in, but from what I've seen of the highlights and that, um, I'm not really going to argue with what Scotty did, because... I don't think he realises just how much damage he may well have incurred if that was allowed to continue. Yeah, if it got any further. Which you know one, I mean? Which one of your stoppages you, doesn't sit well with you? Uh, Apart from the DQ last time out, obviously. But. Jimmy, uh, I mean, Jahanzeb. Uh, it was a clash of heads. Uh, I did have, like, I had to get a couple of stitches in my eye after the fight. And I, I, I sort of rugby tied them out of the ring. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I think the referee told me a favour there because being honest with you, I think I was probably on the verge of getting DQ. So to make sure I got paid, that's probably why I done it, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> so you're not you're not afraid to take a point? No. Have a point taken off? No, I've had a few took off. I mean, I'm, 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 it's not intentional, you know what I mean? Sometimes you get caught with a good shot and you lose your head a little bit. I mean, I, you know, John always tells me only fools rush in and just... If you get caught with a good shot, just take it, take a step back, get your head back together and carry on, you know what I mean? Just don't go for nil going all wild and that because you'll start getting points stuck off and, you know, especially now after the DDQ and my last one at the end of the month, uh, the referees are probably going to be going for me. Yeah. So at the moment, you're kind of averaging, or last year at one stage you were averaging a fight every month. Uh, Is that the way you'd like to... Being honest with you, I mean, if the fight's a day and I'm not incurring too much damage, I mean, like I said, if I spark somebody, I'll probably fight again the following week, but I mean, I'd, I'd be happy to fight every two weeks if it was there. Yeah. You know, anywhere between... Well, the four and six rounds is not a problem, but if they want to get me to do eight rounds or more than that, if they give me a, you know, a decent amount of notice, I'll be more than happy to take it. So how does your week t- plan out in terms of training? Obviously, you've got to fight this week, so it might be slightly different, but how do you fit in the training? If you've, got, if you've had a good week and the phone's been ringing, there's plenty of work on the HGV. Yeah. How do you train? How do you stay in shape? How, I do, mean, you, how do you diet? I think it, it just varies depending on what work I get. I mean, you know, a lot of the work I tend to do, it'll either be doing store deliveries for, like, supermarkets or it'll be maybe some of the container work. Now, the container work, uh, sometimes it'll get offloaded for you and you could be sat on a bay for a few hours at a time. When that happens, I usually take a tracky and a pair of trainees in a bag with me. And while my load's getting off, me, me, uh, I'm getting offloaded, I'll be out running for, like, an hour and an hour and a half while they're doing it. And when I finish for the day, as long as I finish in time, I'll be going to my gym and doing whatever it is that John's got for me in the gym as well on top of that. And that's what keeps me in shape, really. Is your, is your training now different from when you were amateur or when you first turned pro in terms of the stuff that you're working on with John? Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, the rounds are longer, so you've got to maybe settle a bit more and control your pace a little bit more than what you would in the amateurs because the rounds were shorter and you didn't have as long to go over. And, um, I mean, in the army, when I was boxing for the army boxing team, I was saying like two, three times a day, five days a week, which was great. You're basically living in a dream. Get up in the morning, train at eight, train at 11, train again at two o'clock in the afternoon and just rest in between and after. Mm. It was, uh, yeah, something else. I mean, as they said, one year while I was on the army team, we actually got voted uh, club of the year and I think we were only second to maybe the GB squad. Wow. So, you know, that's, it's, it's second to none. It's amazing the facilities that they've got and especially now that the, uh, we made the gym when I was first on the army team and whilst I was there, uh, we've got this new facility now called the um, 
Combat Sports Centre, I think it's called, and they do loads of rehabilitation as well as taekwondo and things like that in there, but we've got our own bit. And the army boxing scene compared to the other services, like the the likes of the the RAF and the Navy, uh, the army, I think, have got the only full-time boxing scene where it operates, you know, all the time, maybe. You might get about a month and a half off or something in the summer after the season's finished, but otherwise it, it doesn't stop. They're always here, they're everywhere, training, travelling and fighting all the time. Yeah. What's the goal for you this year then, 2019? Um, you can pick it out now if you could kind of plot the next 12 months, the next 10 months. I mean, I want to stay busy, you know what I mean? I want to do well and hopefully, I mean, I don't know if anything will come off the back of this regard to sponsors or maybe get me back in the home corner instead of getting cacked on every other week when I go to these away shows. Uh, that'd be nice, but I mean, it's all about the tickets and the deductions that they take, the breakdown of it, you be shocked at. I mean, if you did two and a half grand's worth of tickets, you'd be lucky to get maybe just short of about a third of that. Yeah. And that'd just be for a four-rounder. Bearing in mind, I mean, there's a certain amount that goes to your promoter, then they've got to pay your opponents and his expenses if they get a journeyman in. If it's another home fight, then that cost doesn't there, isn't there, so you're probably going to get a bigger wage because yeah. that, that fee isn't on there. But on, the, on top of that, then you've got to pay, uh, so what is it, the promoter, your opponents, your manager, and then your trainer, and then what is left after that, that's yours. Mm. And, you know, on the home circuit, if you don't do enough tickets, to at least pay your opponents, you're not fighting. You are giving out refunds and all your training and everything's been for nothing. And I guess the promoter is a big slice because that also pays for the officials, for the paramedics to be there, for the oh, yeah. console registration, everything that goes yeah. with it. You know, the higher the venue, the ring card girls, the medical professionals, uh, the security, uh, all of that palaver, the, you know what I mean? All that comes out of is that first 10% that goes in. So, you know, there's, there's as they say, People got to be paid. <laughs> Do you think you'll be in boxing your whole life? Um, as a fighter, you know, can't go on forever. You know what I mean. And I'm, uh, you know, it's not like I'm going to be able to decapitate someone like, uh, you know, like like Highlander. There can only be one. You know what I mean. <laughs> Imagine it. <laughs> yeah, let's just, you know, take ten years off me. Carry on. I'll just change my name every so often and get a new base. Okay. <laughs> Do you think maybe as a coach, maybe as a, you know. I mean, I've been as a promoter, as a manager, as a uh, coach. As a... I mean, coaching wise, I've done me, uh, me level two, me level one, and me level two in the army. I've done me great teacher in timekeeping as well. And a lot of um, clubs when I first got out the army, because I shopped around, I went to about ten different gyms trying to find the gym, and then eventually settled with the Solly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of them were trying to take me on as coaches because they could see how fast I could bring their kids on in a very short space of time, just with simple, simple adjustments, because uh, of the way that I taught and the way that I've been taught and what I know about the game and what I've gained over the time that I've been doing it. Um, I'm not going to like blow my own something and make myself out to be like the next big big thing in regards to the coaching side of things, but I mean, compared to, I don't know, maybe some people's values and standards are a bit different to others, but yeah, I'm quite stringent. Not, why am I not surprised? Yeah. Why am I not surprised? Ten years in the services will do that to a man. Yeah, but you know, you want to get the best out of the kids, it's because you want the best. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, you're listening to Fight Disciples on Radio City Talk. Uh, if you missed any of tonight's show, it will be available as a podcast over at Fight Disciples. We're also across all social media at Fight Disciples. And for the back catalogue of all our shows, visit fightdisciples.com. All that's left to say, mate, is t- to the nightmare, the battalion stallion himself. Thank you so much for hey, You know what? Could you imagine Michael Buffer doing that? I know, exactly. Oh, mate. Uh, you know what? When I was at the Echo, I nearly got to talk to him, but he was talking to somebody else, so I didn't want to cut in. But could you imagine him doing your ring walk and that? 
But is this the before I'm, I'm, I was literally you know you've made it if he calls your name Oxbury because you get paid he gets paid a wedge yeah exactly yeah yeah but there's rumours of potentially a fight at Anfield in May potentially Callum Smith there's loads of talk about that I'd love that imagine that imagine that, that imagine even be being in the away corner for instance I, well, I wouldn't be bothered like me that. if I got called out by Buffer oh my god he, he could have me pissed would be asked <laughs> thank you for listening if you like what you heard subscribe via iTunes